You're listening to Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary Flames season is over. Welcome back to Boomer in the Morning. My name is Ryan Pinder. There's Patrick Dumas. Corey Sarich in studio. We're having you in after the Flames games the day, the next morning. So when are you in next? Uh, uh, September. Uh, October. <laughs> when, enjoyed having you here, but I think I feel like we might not be doing a show together. We'll probably open the while. season on a Saturday night. So. Yeah, Saturday in Edmonton. McDavid will hang a four spot on Vladar. I don't know. I'll be just I'll just be anxiously <laughs> awaiting the release of next year's schedule. Yeah, there you go. Um because I'm sure I'll be hired back. Appreciate having you here. And the text line noted it. Uh maybe it was Twitter. They're getting lots of feedback today, and why not? That that's uh This city has waited and wanted so badly a deep playoff run. And it wasn't super deep, but it also wasn't a first round disappointment. And there were some big time moments people will carry with them as fans of this franchise out of this spring. Important to remember the context of where people were at with this team. Experts, fans, general consensus could be a playoff team. Certainly not a guarantee. Not going to be the best team in the division. Vegas is the best, and maybe if Edmonton can get their S together, they're going to be dangerous. Weak division, Seattle's probably not good. California teams aren't there yet. Maybe they get in. They're the one seed in the Pacific. They have probably the second best regular season in franchise history. They're one of the tightest defensive groups in the NHL. You have career years for probably half the roster. Both goalies, which is kind of unfair to Vladar. He played like six games for this year. Probably all your defensemen. Good Branson finally. Okay. That's why that guy got picked third overall. He was he he had he was given a role and absolutely Flushed it. Zadorov bounce back year. Zadorov, that's probably the best year he's had in the NHL. He's going to get paid this summer. I don't know that the Flames are in a position to win that bidding war, but someone's going to give him a lot of money in significant term if if that's what he wants. Anderson and Hannafin, best year in the NHL as a duo. Shillington, of course, he was a scratch most of last season. Best year of his career. Chris Tanev, you can make a case career year. That's a little more difficult, but if a sensational campaign. He was fully healthy. That's tough for him to do until the playoffs. Top line, all career years. Andrew Mangiapane, career year. Dylan Dubé, young and improving, but significant strides made. Career year might not be the right term for it. It's half the roster. Daryl Sutter's going to win the Jack Adams running away. The Selkie Trophy, Lindholm's a nominee. Gaudreau got some heart votes. Not enough to be a top three finalist, but in the mix. Your goaltender's up for the Vesna, And you barely missed out on the Jennings Trophy for the fewest goals against in the regular season. In fact, at five on five, they had the least. Yeah. This team crushed expectations. This is not a failure. This is not a season where it's like, look, they blew it again. It isn't. But it's a painful way for a season to end. What's going on in management, coaches' room, and in the players' locker room today? Where are are you at mentally, and how do you put all of that together? Because Daryl talked about a postgame. Nobody thought we were good enough to, like, we the Oilers, everyone thought we were better than us at the beginning of the year, and it's true. But they also were favored when the season, when the series began. Put that all together for me. That's a lot of stuff to put together. No, I know. <laughs> and it's, I guess what we're saying is they killed expectations in the regular season and they didn't quite live up to it in the postseason, but they did win around. Like, how are they, how are you feeling today if you're, you know, we know Chris Tanev's not feeling great. He's hurt. We'll get into that in a moment. But how, what, what's today like? I can, you know, just from a, player's perspective it's it's a super super weird feeling on a day like today um you're gonna have a ton of reflections on all the little things that you know because it's such a small game and we talk about all the little details that all add up to a sum of a loss or a win and so players today will be replaying everything in their mind from last night they'll be thinking about things that they could have done especially the flames more more that you could have done throughout the series. Uh, it's really weird as a hockey player to all of a sudden not have a schedule. It's something that you experience at the end of, of a season. 
and you'll take a little time off and you'll, and you'll get back into your training and getting ready for next year. But to all of a sudden, like not have to be somewhere at a specific time and to be managed in managing your own time and doing those things. Yeah. Some of it'll be enjoyable and, and needed and recovery will be there. But at the same time, it's, it's like, I wish I was still in it. I wish I was in the grind. I always wish I was going to the rink tomorrow with my pals. All of a sudden, the guys that you're closest with in your life, all of a sudden, you're not seeing them anymore. Like, well, and, and the group each other won't for- be together again. This, the, after locker clearout day, those 23 bodies will not be ever in the same room at the same time. It's some- just too much turnover year over year, right? It's something that changes. Um, I, you, you, watch, you watch teams. Like I, I went through a lockout where we had the ultimate su- success as a team. Then you have a lockout year, and then all of a sudden, half your or a quarter of your teammates aren't your teammates anymore, and you didn't even get to say goodbye. I mean, this is this will be kind of a painful process for the next few days to clean up meetings, and it's an even. I mean, I've I've gone through retirement as well, and it's kind of a similar feeling to the end of a season. It's like all of a sudden you don't really know what to do with yourself. What do I do now? Because hockey players are good at being told what to do. I think just professional athletes in general, be on time, follow a schedule, get yourself prepped, focus on all the little details. And now all of a sudden that stuff, that world is kind of turned upside down. And I can't really speak from other perspectives. I'm sure as, as coaches and, and GMs, I can't imagine it's a lot of fun. Like for a guy like Brad for living now, all you're kind of focusing on, and he's not at the forefront. We hear about, we hear from the coaches on a daily basis throughout the playoffs. You hear from players. You don't really hear from a GM on a daily basis, but now the focus shifts there, and all of a sudden this guy's got a lot of work, a lot of work, a ton of questions. And as, as long as your playoff run postpones those questions and delays that, that's success, and it probably makes putting the puzzle together even easier when your team continues to play on. So today is going to be just, yeah, it's it's not going to be a lot of fun. And then you, you've you got, I'm not the guy to sit here, obviously, and probably talk about controversial goals in Calgary. I'm probably the last guy that should be here sitting in this chair. But then there there's those little question marks and things that really, really stick with you and, and, and bother you. And you're going to be angry. You're going to be really angry right now as a Calgary Flames member of this club, but it will subside. Do you have but a, it's fresh? Do you have something that you hung on to, like a single play or a game? Because you had the incredible run in '04, but you guys, there's one winner every year. That's it. A lot of teams leave disappointed. Fifteen of the sixteen teams think, "Dang, we wish well, that could have gone better." And you know, the last team to get knocked out is it's probably the most painful. Rhett knows that feeling well. Three times, like. Do you have something that you're like you couldn't get out of your head for a couple months that cost you sleep or that you you always said man if I if that could have happened different. Well, it's not one thing, but if I look at if I look at my first real crack at the NHL playoffs with Tampa, we we kind of come out of nowhere. We make the playoffs. We are facing Yarmer Yager and the Washington Capitals and we end up beating them in 6 games. And it gives you a little bit of belief that what you're going through, because we were an awful team before then. We were bottom of the barrel, kind of laughing stock, lost. Like we we were the we were the Phoenix Coyotes of the NHL down sure. there in Tampa. Yeah. Well, you have you gain some traction, you have this immediate success, and it's something to build off of. Well, then that was great. You go and we play the New Jersey Devils in the second round, and we're playing a team that I think ultimately that year in 0203 won the Stanley Cup. And we got wiped in five games, and it was a we got we were lucky to get one win. Hmm. And it was men against boys. But what stuck with me was our preparation to to look across the ice and see the confidence that group had, to see the way that they played, and to know that we were in it with them and we earned our way there, but we had a ways to go. It was kind of, it was just, it was, a, it was a learning moment for me. It was a learning moment for a group. It was part of a process, and it, we were fortunate the next year it turned out to be an incredible result, and it all came together for us very quickly and then was dismantled very quickly with that Tampa Bay Lightning group with the with lockout. The lockout. Yeah. But 
that was one thing that always I'll never forget that series against the Devils. And I was like, these guys are good. They play the right way. They're like a well-oiled machine. They do not make mistakes. They do not give up anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like we have to get we have to be more like them. And I don't know if the if the Flames can look across the ice and say we want to be more like the Oilers. No, they can't. They're not going to get a superstar or two drops in their lap. They can draw on the experience of what didn't we do against the Oilers that didn't get us over the hump? Yeah. And how do we? Because the NHL is is dynamic. It's fast paced. It's quick. It's not like the clutch and grab game that we played. Ugly. There was a red line back in. There's no two line. There's two line passes. But it was like, how do we bridge the gap? And this will be a learning experience for them. And you can only grow from a situation like this. You alluded to it earlier. A lot of cores and a lot of teams, you have to go through these tough, painful loss series before you can win. Now, to your point, it only happened that one time in Tampa and it all clicked. But the current Tampa Bay Lightning, had a, this is the sixth time in eight years they're in the conference final. It's only the last two years they've closed out the job. And that group certainly, if you hear John Cooper speak or people that cover that team, they learned from one of the ugliest postseason losses we've seen in the last decade. They got swept as a President's Trophy winner by Columbus. Best regular season maybe we've seen in like decades. Didn't win a game. Did what happened to the Flames last night help this group moving forward? Or do you see it as the mix isn't right? Or can it be a bit of both? I think it helps, but that's that's if you have the majority of the guys back in the room next year. Sure. So right? Gaudreau may or may not learn from it. But he, we don't even know if he's back next year. That would sort of be your point, right? So for me, but what I what I do hear coming out of this dressing room right now, just in a few very early brief comments, is Backlund said, loves the guys in the room. He'd love to go back to war with these guys again. I don't, sorry, let's not use the word. Let's, he wants to get back we get it. in yeah. the game with these guys. And I've heard it for two, from two or three guys, and the comments are fresh. Like, we, we haven't had a lot of time to digest this between, I mean, it'll be some key components coming back, but just from a very brief, small sample size, you get the, you get the uh, feeling that it's a, it's a group that is pretty tight-knit, that was very proud of their accomplishments, that grew with each other this year, do they want to be back together? And that's going to come down to some personal choices uh, when it, and what other teams throw at certain guys when it comes to unrestricted free agent. Like it's one huge ball of twine that we're going to have to unravel here and yeah. will show itself over the course of the next three to four months. Yeah. But there, there is, there's a good, great base in there. And then that's, and that's, I think that's an important takeaway too, because they lost in heartbreaking fashion very quickly to Colorado in eighteen nineteen. This feels a lot different. This was more of the self inflicted like oof, rather than just they looked overmatched in Colorado. And the Oilers are the better team. Make no mistake. Tip, tip your cap to Edmonton, who won this series, uh, continually erased deficits, but. I feel like there's more sustainability in the way the Flames played this year than there was in 1819. Oh yeah, 100%. And there's 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 belief in a process. There's a lot of Buy things in. that have changed with these guys. It just again, it maybe comes down it comes down to execution in the playoffs. It comes down to small details and the Flames just got away from it a little bit and we saw those results in some of the games. So <sighs> It's just it, the the playoffs. You you work so hard all year long to get there, and that regular season is such a grind. Yeah. And then when it's over, it's just so finite, right? Like it's so quick, boom. And it's it's a hard it's hard to chew on, and these guys will chew on it now for for a couple of weeks. Okay, uh, we'll hear from Michael Backlund in a moment, but a couple notes from the series. Uh, Oilers players, top guys went off. McDavid, 12 points. Dreisaitl, 17 points. Hyman, six goals in five games. Added two helpers last night. Scored in every single game. Evander Kane had five goals in the two games in Edmonton. Their best guys were phenomenal. Tip your cap to those guys. They were great. Other notes, um, Jacob Markstrom didn't get as much help as he should have, nor that he was used to this season. Here are the goal totals he allowed by game. Six in game one, five in game two, four in game three, four in game four, five in game five. Way too many goals, way too many high-quality chances. Um, It's not fair, 
but it's the position. Those numbers are there for everyone to see. The save percentage isn't close. The goals against isn't close. Uh, he did not look like a Vesna goalie. He also didn't get a lot of the defensive structure in front of him that he should have. Uh, and and again, a lot of that in part due to the Oilers' top guys being excellent in this series. So we do know one thing. We, we, we know Markstrom will be back next year. He's back. He got four years left. And if there's something that's going to stick with him. What is it? it, it it's... It's a second-round exit, and it's playoff experience. He doesn't have a lot of playoff no, experience. No, he went second Jacob round in the Markstrom. bubble, and they had the play-in round before that. That that was it. And their regular season, the Flames did such such a good job of grabbing leads, locking things down. He grew as a goaltender in learning how to not be busy yep. and still be rock solid. I mean, a different animal again with the Oilers out there, but it's playoff experience. And next time, it, next time it happens and he gets to a second round again, hopefully, he'll be a, just a little bit more relaxed and maybe he'll be able to make the saves and up those percentages. And it, it's, it's, it's his experience. It's playoff experience. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's totally different. Things come at you. Like look at the wave we saw in four goals in that 111. 111. Like that that stuff doesn't happen as often in regular season games because the crowds involved Momentum, and yeah. players are amped up. So it's 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 just such a learning experience for everybody and Jacob Markstrom will yeah, it's he will not be pleased with himself and as determined as a player as he as he is, he'll use that in the right way to just get better. As for Chris Tanev, this reported by Rick Dollywall out of Vancouver, where Tanev has spent the bulk of his career. Tanev played with a torn labrum, separated shoulder, and had a sprained neck. Those are three injuries that uh, each on their own is often enough to keep guys out for long amounts of time. He played through all three uh, for games four and five in this series and was their best defenseman last night. Separated shoulder, usually two weeks. Uh, never tore my labrum, sprained my AC joint. Two to three weeks, absolutely zero strength in your shoulder. Sprained neck. Well, never really sprained it, but I imagine... Can't feel good. No, it's probably a little bit of everything. So that's one heck of a gutsy performance by him last night. He really didn't show any weaknesses. And actually, let's reflect on the last two games he played with this injury. Besides maybe being out-muscled a little bit for one puck in front of that, he definitely didn't hurt the Calgary Flames. No, he helped. And I thought Shillington sort of stabilized a little, as he does when he plays the Tana. Not that he was great, but a lot better than him and Stone together. Um, Surgery next week for Tana is the report also from Dollywell. Here's Michael Backlund after last night's loss. Uh, I think many of us on the same page that watch this series, the Flames' best forward, it's a great sign for Michael Backlund, but it's also probably an indictment on some of your highest paid players. Yeah, it's <clears throat> tough right now. Uh, you know, we play such a good se- <clears throat> season, so, yeah, it's tough. Um, well, not the way we want to finish. Uh, uh, I thought we played better the last two games, but, yeah, those are the first few games that got away from us. More from Backland uh, talks about games two and three. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, it's hard, but um, I don't think we lost the series today. Like I said before, um, I thought uh, game two and three is where got away from us. Um, even game one, wrap six two, we should kill kill the first game right there. Um, don't give them the big guns any free uh, confidence. Um, so, yeah, it would have been great if he counted um, to push the series. I know, I mean, it was five minutes left, so who knows what's going to happen after. But be up one with five minutes left, it's a lot different. Um, and hopefully we could have pushed, or we could have probably pushed it to another game, but we can't do anything about it now. Back on talking about the disallowed goal, uh, we, we've all seen it. I don't think this is one of those mornings where we're going to tell you what happened in the game because you missed it last night. No, we were all watching. Blake Coleman is engaged in a battle in front of the net. The puck is going to go into the net. He directs it with his skate into the net. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's helping it in. But I think he also knows he's not kicking, that he's sliding his foot along the ice, stopping, sort of skidding that into the net. That's a goal that in this year's NHL stands a ton. I watched three or four examples last night. One of the more egregious ones was Chandler Stevenson of the Vegas Golden Knights. The NHL has been very happy to allow these goals as long as it's a slide of the skate rather than a swing of the foot. 
And that seems to be the breakdown of kicking motion, right? Yeah, got- I didn't see a kicking motion there the way that the NHL ruled on these earlier this year. That's a tough break for the Flames. It also doesn't mean they win the series, nor even the game last night if it counts. But to Michael Backlund's point, you're a lot more comfortable up one with five minutes left than tied. Oh, it's a huge turning point. And then you've got your crowd in the game. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, the sea of red is going nuts for the last four or five minutes of that game rather than completely Deflated. in shock yeah, and awe. Totally. And it's it could play a pivotal role, and I, I don't like it either. I mean, maybe Coleman can avoid even contact with the puck, but if that's a legal play, make you want to sure make in. sure that the puck goes in yeah. the net. So his foot's on the ice. He maybe extends his foot by an inch or two to make sure that that puck goes in the net. And there's no backwards motion. There, his skate blade doesn't lift the ice. So to me, the goal should have counted. I mean, they've got to make it more black and white. They've got to com- continue to define these things or they'll just be faced with more tough calls like this in gray area. And again, the ref was in a great position. He called it a goal. He signaled. Had he seen any type of kicking motion that was really significant, I think it would have been left in question. Yeah. No, you know, it, that's a good point, too, that if they call that no goal on the ice because the ref thinks it was kicked, I don't know that there's necessarily enough to overturn it and call it a goal. But to call it a goal on the ice and, and then overturn, overturn it. it with that, that's where I have a bit of an issue with and it. I because, frankly, we've seen multiple goals with more of a clear intent to try to kick without swinging the foot that stood. And they're out there on social media if you want to find them. Uh, it is too much gray area for my liking. I think the NHL needs to make this very black and white. Is the skate on the ice? Does the skate leave the ice and attempt to kick? Is Because they're happy to have people directed in with their feet, but you don't want guys swinging their feet around goalies. We know that. There's blades on skates. And we heard Daryl make his comment, well, yeah, if you're laying on the ground and you kick someone in the head, that's a kicking motion. This Distinct wasn't even, this kicking wasn't motion. Even, this wasn't even close. Um, and again, sucks to if you're a Flames fan, but it doesn't mean you, you win the series nor even game five, but it's a better spot than the one you're in. And to your point, instead of the air coming out of that building, it's uh, it's bonkers. And you know what? <laughs> Knowing the way the series was going, the Oilers would have had a serious push in the final five. I feel like we got robbed of that. Yeah. Who knows if they score tied or not. And the way goals were scored immediately after other goals were scored, who knows? Um, Let's hear from Blake Coleman on that incident in the series. I don't know. I I don't think I understand the rule. Um, You know, getting pushed, just try to keep my foot on the ice. I don't know. I haven't watched it enough, but in in live speed, I felt like I was in a battle. And just my understanding is you can direct a puck, but you just can't kick it. And I didn't feel that I kicked it, but... Can't go back and change it now. It is what it is. Um, it's unfortunate that that uh, was such a big part of the game and, and happened to influence the way that it all went down. But, uh, you know, like I said, I just I must not understand it. But uh, <clears throat> aside from that, you know, I'm proud for our team. Uh, we fought hard, and, you know, I wish that would have uh, helped put us over to another game. Morford Coleman, what did you learn in this series? This is year one for Blake, who comes in after winning back-to-back titles with Tampa Bay and was uh, brought in to be a veteran in the room that had been through these battles and through long springs and knows what it takes to win. Uh, he speaks about the group and the spring they just had end last night. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, to think about it all right now. Obviously, uh, still pretty fresh. But, um, you know, it's disappointing because we had a, a really, really good season. We have a really great team. Um, you know, I think we all believe that we had um a deep run in us and you know obviously you can't put it all on us you got to give Edmonton credit I thought they played really well I thought their their big guys played some big series they had some depth you know um they just they made plays in key moments of games and and we didn't and uh you look at a lot of the games they're tight in the third and we just couldn't come up with that big play to put us over the hump in in the last couple games so um you know it's such a small margin of error this time of year and um that's that's part of the learning curve and the growth is is learning how to win tight games and and being uh a really difficult team in, in um important situations take away from me from the series we'll all remember that goal not standing but i don't think that's where the series was lost uh 
they did not hold on to a 5-1 lead. They did not hold on to a 6-2 lead. They did not hold on to a 3-1 lead and a 2-0 lead in game two. They did not hold on to a 2-0 lead last night, nor a 4-3 lead. Uh, I, I don't think that's an indictment of the group, but for whatever reason, and a lot of it probably belongs in the other locker room, there were some guys that played phenomenally the last week and a half for Edmonton. They couldn't do what they did so well all year, which, which was put teams away, smother them defensively, and not allow teams to come out of deficits. They won the most games in the NHL this year when leading after 20 minutes. No team had more. This year, 2-2 two and two in the playoffs. And just to add to that, Ryan, it's, for me, just looking at the the defense defensive structure and not being able to hold leads, it's the little details, it's hard work, it's commitment and it's straight lines. Last night, not enough straight lines. I think they gave away opportunities to make it hard on the Oilers by bump, bang, make them fight through checks, better coverage by not turning away from guys. And then they're on on all the goals, and I know it's easy to be nitpicky and you go through them. On all the Oilers goals, like there's there's little self-inflicted wounds there by the Calgary Flames. And we could go through them. We don't have to go through them. It's but if you go through like they're there are just little small details that you don't get away with at this time of year. Stakes are too high. Yep. And like Coleman just said, their top players seized opportunities to be top players. And it's not to say that the Calgary Flames didn't have a little bit of a rebuttal there with, I thought Johnny Goudreau made some real strides in the playoffs this year. Yep. But again, their, their top players collectively were better and the details went out of the Flames game and it all adds up to us sitting here after five games talking about it. Two more for you. Did you get enough from Matthew Kachuk in the playoffs this year? No. Is that an issue or is that part of a learning process? Or do we have to revisit in a year to find out the answer? Yeah, he's got to find a way to take his game up to the next level. Like there, there was, sure, the first game you have a hat trick. That game was wild and crazy and stuff's going off. But then outside of that, he was he, he was there and he he maybe helped create some space um for Goudreau and some of his sharp angle goals and maybe against a different goaltender some of those don't go in so maybe your line's not even cashing in on some of that um i just i just think overall the balance between his his physical grit and being disruptive and offense it it just seemed too far one way or the other. Like in again in the Dallas series, we saw him very involved physically, distracted to almost. Then it almost took away from his offensive side of his game. I thought towards the end of that series, he had a nice balance, but I just didn't see enough of Matthew Kachuk this series against the Oilers. I thought he was going to go and maybe just do something outrageous to try to tilt the series or or put some. For accidentally fall like, on Mike some Smith sun, at some yeah, point, Put some right? sun back shining on him. Like, yeah, yeah. like you, you've got to do something. Maybe some distraction was required there because things just got too, a little bit too mundane in the series as it wore on. And it was too soft. And like I said, it felt too much like the regular season for me. And those aren't games you want to play against the Oilers where it's like, let's leave it to chance and let's leave it to see who scores the most goals. It needed to be physical. It needed to be hard. And I think he, he can be part of that element. And it's a big decision this summer. He needs a contract. Now, he's not a UFA, but he's an RFA with Arbrights, and he could accept the qualifying offer or a one-year arbitration settlement and be gone in free agency in a year. This is the time where the Calgary Flames and Matthew Kachuk decide whether they're together long-term or not. It's this offseason. And you wonder how, how recent in his memory his frustration is from a couple of years ago. In the bubble against Dallas, steaming in a suite, watching the Flames get eliminated. And then, then there's this. It's, it's your chance to really leave a mark and an imprint, but he's a young player that doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. And that, that could all equate to, to what we saw. He didn't have a bad playoffs. But as a top player and a 100-point guy. It wasn't that standard that he got to. Not at all. It's got to be more. And his game is more than just the points. 
It, it's it's everywhere, and it's being involved, and it's just consistently on a night to night basis. Look at Zach Hyman on the other on the other side. Great series, scored in every game, six in total. Phenomenal series. A pain in the ass too for the Flames. It's a seven year deal, and you don't judge whether it's a win or a loss in year one. But if they can hang hardware before the two superstars are gone, with Hyman contributing, that's huge because it's not going to be good years five, six, and seven. It never is. He's had two knee issues. He's into his thirties, but. If you can hang banners along the way, who cares? Hyman, do you see him? So he gets run over by Dubé last night, and I like that because that was really, for me, I mean, it's a great body check. He gets up, just goes about his business. And then he's got the collision with Backstrom. With uh, uh, Backlund, sorry. Lind- no, no. Um, Lindholm. Lindholm. Yeah, he, he, was, he, he became the hammer. And yeah. uh, he gets up and he's chirping, and, and he was just that pest for the Flames that I thought that uh, I thought Kachuk was going to be yeah for the Oilers like in your face irritating Big driving you nuts you can't stand it scored all most of his goals around the net Hyman either on on some rebounds last night a tight little power play goal like that was uh, it was kind of they had the guy on their side that did it Agreed. And uh, final one before we go to break and come back, we're going to talk a little golf. We're going to do what you want to talk about. We will read more of your thoughts and texts here the day after the flame season comes to an end. How do the Oilers fare moving forward? Do you like enough of what you've seen to think something special could happen here? Or do you see them as mincemeat for whoever they play next? Because I, I know that for a lot of Flames fans, there's this hope that they get shellacked and somehow that would make Flames fans feel better. And hey, part of this rivalry is... If you like the other team, it's not really a rivalry. You kind of got to dislike them a bit. Watching your enemies suffer, thats it's not polite, but it's part of a rivalry. A lot of people would love to see a Colorado steamroll through this club. Do What do you see for them moving forward? What did they show you over the last week and a half? Well, Colorado's got to get there first and foremost. Uh, well, I, totally, yeah. <laughs> I like your comments, though. Like, if you're going to, if you're going to, like, be a fan of one team, you really got to dislike other teams. It's a I, real rivalry. If you're saying, oh, you know, I'm happy whoever wins, that's not the best rivalry in sport. Like a I, real rivalry, you hate the other team. Like, there's a couple teams I love to watch lose, and one of them got the better of our team last night. So for me, yeah, I can't. But, but let's, go, let's go back to the question. What do I expect? I'm, I'm rooting and I'm hoping that someone steamrolls these guys, but they've shown that they're resilient. They've shown that they can score, so you're going to have to first and foremost figure that out. I think their goaltender, well, he's going to be a question mark the whole way through with some of the goals we saw him let in, but they've seemed to overcome that. So if he becomes a little bit more consistent and they continue to produce the way they are, it's going to be a tough out, I think, for anybody. If Let's look at a couple matchups that I'm sure we would like to see, Colorado versus, versus the Oilers. They can maybe run and gun with each other. Then it's going to come down to goaltending. You mentioned it. Kemper. Smith, who's a better matchup? I don't know. You look at the Tampa Bay Lightning sitting on the other side. They've got to go through another team, but if it was ever an Oilers-Tampa matchup, the Tampa's just ha- Tampa just held the highest-scoring team, the President's Trophy winner. In the cap era, the highest-scoring team in a regular season, the Florida Panthers. Three goals in four games. So do they have the recipe? I don't see Edmonton holding the team to three goals in a series. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you're not. You're not going to keep this team. You're not going to keep Connor McDavid and his crew to less than three goals. So it's it's really intriguing. Uh, they're not going to get steamrolled. Sim- I would love to that. see it. I it's going to be a you. series. Whoever, if the Oilers go down, it's going to be a series. And I'll say this: it's not a perfect roster. They have weaknesses. They also have the ability to outscore a lot of their issues. We saw that this series. They scored at will. They created chances, and I the decor was better than I thought, and they they got some contributions from places you might not have expected it. We'll come back. Luke Alvey going to join us from Canmore. Uh, the PGA commentator wants to talk about whether that was a goal or not with Blake Coleman. So it's resonating out in the Rockies and around the golf world too. Uh, flames fall. Their season over. Five-game series victory for the Edmonton Oilers. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Traffic for Canyon Plumbing and Heating. Specialists in Poly B pipe replacement. Offering professional leak detection systems to help save you from disaster. Learn more at canyonplumbing.com. Here for you. We're sifting through the ashes here. It is the day after the Calgary Flames season has come to an end. They fall in overtime 
5-4. It looked like the Flames could potentially win this thing 5-4. That was not the case. Blake Coleman's goal was called no goal after being reviewed. It was called a goal on the ice and then uh, deemed a distinct kicking motion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll uh, take a, a small pause, or maybe not, uh, from the Flames conversation. It's time for the Speargrass Golf Show, Calgary's most friendly and relaxed golf experience. Visit them at speargrass.ca. Greens are rolling out there. Uh, say hi to Jacob and Mitch and the boys out there. They got the place in great shape. Uh, Luke Alvey joining us from Canmore. Luke, uh, we usually start with golf, but you're already texting and tweeting. <laughs> you're wound up about this uh, this no goal call on Coleman. Not wound up, uh, Ryan, and hello, guys. Morning, Boomer. I know it's a, it's a tough morning for all Calgary fans. The only thing I couldn't understand last night, and obviously not being a hockey aficionado, um, the puck was going to go in the net anyway. Yeah. So why is it why is it a, an issue? If it was going to be a goal, then it should have just stayed as a goal. But I I don't understand that concept. Uh, and obviously the decisions already happened. And as young kids, we're told in the sporting arena that the umpire or the referee's decision is final, and you've just got to learn to accept. So I told my boy, who was a bit teary this morning, that oh. it's important you celebrate success rather than focus on the failure. Yeah. No. And you know what? We, there might have been a game six in Edmonton Saturday. They're, the Oilers might have also scored right back. They sure did a good job of racing deficits. Uh, as a transplanted Aussie, how was your first ever Battle of Alberta, Luke? Oh, I loved it. Um, obviously, the outcome was tough, but just the energy. And it was so great for the entire province, wasn't it? Uh, the, the life had sort of boosted back into the cities and into the communities. You know, at, at Kangolf, we had, you know, 30... 40 people sitting around the big screen watching the game and feeling like they're a part of it, even though they weren't in Calgary at the Saddledome or at that outside arena or event um, immersed in the action at all. So it's, it's only a positive. Fair enough. Yep. And I think uh, the one thing about sport that, that, that we don't have to explain is you can see stars and superstars and you can see the gifted athletes that are doing exceptional things. Uh, I don't think we have to tell you, keep your eye on uh, 97, that McDavid might be a player. <laughs> Yeah, he seems like he's got some potential, doesn't he? He might go some places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, golf. Uh, we got you on for the Speargrass Golf Show. Uh, second major in the rearview mirror. U.S. Open's not far away. And the Canadian Open, after a two-year hiatus, is back in the Toronto area. Actually, quite close to downtown. Should be a fun event. That's what's going on in the PGA from my perspective. What else are the, the conversations and themes? Tiger left after, what, two and a half, three rounds at the, at the PGA Championship? Yeah, I was down there uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Southern Hills. What a wonderful venue it was. Um, it, it, the simple fact that he made the cut was heroic. I, I, I tweeted out after the cut. I'm like, don't make him come back for round three. Don't make him endure the more pain and agony that he has to go through. Just give him last place and uh, acknowledge that he, he made the cut as another heroic performance. Just so people understand this, I, I spoke to his agent, Mark Steinberg, in the locker room after day one. And I said, tell me, please, exactly what Tiger has to do just to play one competitive round of golf. He said he's up at 3.30 in the morning, ice bath, bike, physio, Cairo, stretching, before he even leaves to go to the golf course. That's a three-hour process. Then it's an hour and a half on the practice area, the four-and-a-half to five-hour round of golf. Then, here's the kicker. He has to have a four-hour warm-down with his entire team before he can start the process again the next morning. So if you put all that time together, four, five, nine, plus an hour and a half, ten and a half, plus three, 13 and a half hours are spent in a day playing one competitive round of golf to come home in absolute agony. Agony. There's not an, an ounce of him that isn't hurting every single day. And he says it's nonstop. It's 24 hours of pain. He doesn't get much sleep. He sleeps about two and a half, three hours a night. Why are we needing him to continue to put himself through this just for our entertainment? That's incredible. I, yeah, and I, I knew that he was playing through pain. I didn't realize the extent of it, and that's that's good uh, good research from you, getting that out of the agent. Um, what's on your radar in terms of non-Tiger themes coming up here? We've seen an incredible season from Scotty Scheffler, the big uh, Texan, who, who I swear he's 40, but someone keeps telling him he's in his mid-20s. <laughs> he's coming yeah. to Canada. And then we've also, you know, the Aussie camp, Smith's had a magical campaign. Rory's made some charges. Uh, I, it, it's been a fun year for, you know, who's going to be at the top. 
Right, and then, then Justin Thomas, who pulled off the miraculous victory at the PGA Championship, is also coming. So I am absolutely ecstatic for Canadian golf, for golf in Canada, that they've got a world-class field. Because the other thing that they got hit with, not to their own doing, is the first live golf tour event is happening the same week in London. So all this attention that's gone on this rival golf tour and, you know, the Saudi investment in golf and who's leaving and who's staying and whatever, that's going to happen while the Canadian Open, the first one for three years during the pandemic. So they're going to have to share the limelight. But because the field is so brilliant, it's filled with the best players of the year right now and in the game, that that'll supersede the, the news around the Live Golf Tour. But in about three hours' time, the Live Golf Tour is about to announce its first field in its first of eight events. So 48 players are going to get absolutely roasted on social media for signing up and taking blood money. But the tour, whether people like it or not, is going ahead. And it's just something we all have to start getting used to. But there's a division in the game now. Hey, uh, give us the update on Can Golf. How are things going? What's uh, this time of year like? Because I hear the courses are now open. Some of them starting to open in Canmore and area. Oh, they're all open now, which is great. And I obviously it hasn't been the best of springs, but uh, I know people are just desperate to be outside and playing, and I'm the same. Um, we've gone whisper quiet. If it wasn't for the Battle of Alberta, we, we may have had a couple <laughs> of, you know, a really challenging times. But what I keep saying to people is, you know, if you only have time for an hour, if you just want a night out with friends, if the weather doesn't suit you or if you can't get a tea time, we're here for you. The fun doesn't stop through summer just because of, you know, the fact that it's outdoor golf season. Get, come in amongst it. The food and beverage is just as good as it always has been. And we're going to have a big party, Ryan. So this is good for all your listeners. Anyone coming out to Canmore for, or the Bow Valley in general, for the uh, Canada Day long weekend? Well, on the 30th, we're having a living on a prayer party because we're living on a prayer trying to get through our first summer hmm. uh, at Cangolf. No, no cover charge. Just come in and party hard. All your 80s and 90s rock anthems. We'll put them on and we can all sing and, and, and be merry and enjoy our role into Canada Day. Love it. And we can blast drives into the ocean on uh, Pebble on The Sims. I tend to do that with regularity. Uh, good checking in. <laughs> be well. We're due for a visit out there. Uh, and I promise to do so in the next few months here. Uh, good chatting with you. Thanks for your time. Pleasure, Ryan. Take care. And, and obviously thoughts with everyone who are on the flying side of the Battle of Alberta. But um you know, we are seeing greatness uh, up front and close and personal. No question. Thanks, dude. Okay, there's Luke Alvey from Canmore, from uh, obviously PJ Broadcast, and from Can Golf in the Bow Valley. Uh, he, our guest on the Speargrass Golf Show, Calgary's most friendly and relaxed golf experience. Visit them at speargrass.ca. And remember, it's always including a cart, as many balls as you want on the range. Uh, have some fun. Those three finishing holes will get you 16, 17, 18 at Speargrass. Uh, what you want to talk about, we'll close the program with. Corey will react to people's thoughts on this. What you want to talk about for Calgary, lock, and safe. Let's do that, shall we? Calgary Lock and Safe. Operate your locks at the touch of your phone. Upgrade to smart locks with Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Uh... Hey, guys, do you think Shillington still deserves a major raise? I was not impressed with him throughout the playoffs. I think Shillington's a really interesting case because this is going to be an offseason where the phrase I'm going to use, and whether it's right or wrong, I I believe it, there's going to be luxuries the Flames can't afford, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions if they're going to bring back one or two of their stars that need contracts. I'm not getting rid of Manjapani. I love the type of player he is. I think he's earned an incredibly healthy raise. I don't think when you look at who he's played with and what power play unit he's on that we're looking at a mirage offensively. I think that's a a core piece you're building around. Uh, He needs a significant money to hang around. We know Johnny's a UFA, Matthews an R. Shillington had a phenomenal year when you consider that he was basically a number seven or eight defenseman for the last two seasons, and he stepped into a top four role. He did it with Chris Tanev on his right. The question I have and the, the question that I think the Flames love a better answer to than I do is, can Connor Mackey come in and play that role next to Chris Tanev and get similar results? Are the skill sets too different? And could you put him on market and get significant assets back because 
frankly, you can't keep everyone with the amount of raises that are due everywhere. And I think he is an everyday NHLer. I just wonder what you could get for him. And I, maybe I'm greedy thinking that, but I think that spot to the left of Tanev is a really, really sweet spot. You could put a lot of different people and have success. Yeah, and you look at a couple things. Uh, for Shillington, early in the year, the offense kind of all came in the first half. Like, there were... There yeah, quieted down the there, second half. There You're were right. shades of it in the second half, and I think he still has a ton of growth when it comes to his own end. Um, I know that this position has changed an awful lot, and so you do need dynamic defensemen. The one thing about uh, Shillington that I just I have to chuckle about all year long was still sometimes his body was moving faster than his brain. Yeah. Like, I, you know, totally. the times where shots don't don't come off, uh, passes, there's complete self-destructs at times, <laughs> ran himself into the boards a few Couple times. times yeah. But but there is a really solid base and there's a real talent level there. Yeah. And his skating ability, like you don't find that yeah. in a lot of in totally. a lot of places. And that can sometimes bail out um other players. And it makes defending in this league easier because he can skate. So I think if you if you do stick with Shillington, you've got a really nice base and He's only going to continue to get better. Yep. And he needs more experience. He probably he probably needs to play with a player though, like like the, ta- like, like Tanev. You, you need a yeah. pr- you need a pretty rock solid defenseman to kind of counterbalance each other. So uh, either which way, whether you whether you, he's an expendable asset, I think you're going to get something for him because he did he made enough of a splash this year to prove that. He could be a really great fit on another team. I don't be. I wouldn't be surprised if he could run a power play down the road. He's twenty five. The tools are all there. The, the real push, the the pinch point here is that it's this the off season where a lot of guys need money, and he's not going to be high on that list of priorities. He can't be higher than three. Manager Panny, Kachuk, Gaudreau, right? Like never mind Branson and others. Uh, and what does that Arb case look like? Are they afraid of going into a courtroom and having someone else decide how much he makes? Because that doesn't help. He has pretty good if numbers. If they're worried about him getting overpaid, that might be something that helps sway what where they go with him, whether they take him to market or try to resign him or what. The other thing is, it's how does an arbiter deal with that? This is stat line. He said really good year this year and was essentially a spare part. He was a taxi squad guy a year ago. Like how does it? How does that get weighed? Year and one versus year two when you look backwards. I don't know enough about the arb process, but I think it's complicated. It's sticky. And he might be a luxury they can't afford. And that arb process, it's its always, it's never friendly. No, it's not going to be good and, for the fields. You, yeah. you pretty much summed it up. Well, you know what you know what line the Calgary Flames would take? Yep. And you you're know good which, because you're next to Tanev. And you, they'd, and focus, your second on, half was they'd this. focus on what yeah. he'd done previously. Totally. So you you hope it doesn't get, doesn't get to that point. But just the one thing back to him as a player, and I'm not going to really go with the numbers or the decisions of the Flames are going to make. This is a guy that's gone through some serious adversity. Yeah. And to have the success he had this year, which still was like a, you're adjusting to a, a, a coach who's got some old school flavor and you still found favor in his eyes to be in the lineup every night. And you've, you've shown and earned his trust after having some pretty, like no one had faith in this guy. Yeah. So I think the upside with him almost outweighs the value of getting rid of him. Yeah, that's fair. And you know what? He's a homegrown guy that, to your point, he's he's battled through a lot and really could have pouted and been upset about the situation and not getting chances and them continually bringing D-men in at the deadline. He hasn't. He's worked through it all. He's earned it. Good for him. Great year for him. Yeah. Uh, only time for a couple more. And you know what? Here we are at 9 o'clock. I'm going to ask you the whopper before we say goodbye. And uh, oh God, we'll chat again in the fall. Give me your percentages on how you would peg these two situations. What percentage chance Johnny Gaudreau's a flame next year? And what percentage chance Matthew Kachuk's a flame next year? Your gut, obviously neither of these sides, the agent and the GM aren't telling us how things are going. It's a huge unknown, but do you have a feel or do you have a guess or a probability? I mean, I'm going to sound, I'm going to go... I'm going fifty percent. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? And that's well, Johnny. It's it's, yeah. it's it's because I I don't know. I just feel like I feel like he he he's earned the attention. 
he made people forget about last year. Yeah. He made people focus on this year. This is Johnny I'm talking about. He had a great year and he's grown. And I just don't know if he's at this point in his career going to want to change the scenery. It Number 23, that might have... Uh, you know, they played a ton together. You can't forget that history and what happens to number 23 might directly impact his his decision. Well, I'll and tell you this. The worth, what happens to 13 is going to affect 19. I know that. Well, of course. That's a 100%. But I'm just saying for Johnny, that there's some out, outlying factors and how badly does he want to be here? How badly does he want to see this process through? If, so, if there's someone he thinks that is on the same path as the Calgary Flames... In different in a different destination. I mean, who knows, right? You're trying to get in between his ears there. It's who fifty. Knows? It's fifty fifty. Thanks for all your help in the postseason. You've been great, and you know what? For a, a bunch of guys that don't play the game but watch it and talk about it, it's really nice for you to share your expertise, what you're seeing, some of the X and O's of the game. And I know our listeners have been texting and saying that as well. Uh, I wish we had a few more rounds to talk about. Yeah, me but too. we might have to talk about something else while we play a few rounds of golf instead of the summer. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, that's it for what you want to talk about. It was going to be quick hitters, but hey, the serious business. And you know what? The beauty of, of the question we just asked Corey, we'll continue to ask it until about June 13th, I'm guessing. The future of this roster, who stays, who goes, what about free agency, what deals are there to be made, how do you free up cap space if you've got to find some? That's going to be evergreen for the next couple months. It's what you want to talk about for Calgary Lock and Safe, your experts in automatic door service, repairs, and replacements. Visit Calgary Lock and Safe. Com. Coming back with Ryan Pike from Flames Nation to put a bow on the Flames and the Oilers. Also, we had some uh, rink news this week. What exactly is City Hall doing? Who's at the table? Who isn't? And we'll check in with Trent McClellan uh, on a day after the Flames season has ended. Why not a laugh or two? Our favorite comedians back in town and performing this weekend. He's at the Calvary game, watching the Flames passionately. We'll do the sports and some yucks to help light the mood on a Friday. Sports at 960 The Fan. 